Hi. Uh, thank you all for being here. <clears throat> uh, it's been wonderful so far. Thank you all for the lovely discussion so far. Uh, I want to start with a short video clip. Uh, it takes place at a Black Lives Matter rally uh, inside of a Walgreens um, where somebody had been murdered. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I don't know the, the name of the speaker, but uh, he, he uh, identifies himself as the uncle of Christopher Mitchell, uh, another young black man who had been murdered by police in the city of Torrance. Um, and this man is somebody who has been through the prison system himself. Commanded the body. They kept the body. This is there. This is the corner. They kept his brain, his spinal cord. They kept all that from his family. Yes. So this crookedness has been going on for years. You, you wonder why the homies and our, our community and our people be acting the way they act when they see the police. Because this, this this ain't nothing new to us. It's, it's probably new to some people. This ain't nothing new. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's it. So, you know, with that, you know what I'm saying? Let's move forward. Let's move forward. And let's, you know, let's work with their own sword. You know what I'm saying? Because they playing double head games. They playing, they playing winning like two, two games here. You know what I'm saying? They playing two games with us. They've been doing that. They, and then they turn it on a race thing. This ain't about no race. That's just the brain division. They play them games in prison. Hispanics over here, whites over here, blacks over here, others over here, Asians over here. Then we, we all on one big old yard with the gun tower up here. He, he ready to blow any one of us away. So, you know, hey, let's keep it together. Let's move forward. Let's get Let's make this happen. Just don't stop. Don't, don't just stop because cause it, 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 it's happening to us. So uh, I shared this video because I think uh, it posed a really interesting question. Um, what is the relationship between mass incarceration and race? Uh, what are the ways that the prison system both is and isn't about race? Uh, so I wanted to start with some basic facts about mass incarceration. Um, and I'll also add a disclaimer that there's just so much research out there about how awful the prison system is that we're really only skimming the, the surface. Um, there's, you know, like a lot more information out there um, that you can re look up on your own. Um, but just the uh, um, basic numbers. So there's currently 2.3 million people locked up in the United States. That's 698 people per 100,000 residents, more than anywhere else in the world. Despite making up uh, close to 5% of the global population, the U.S. has nearly 25% of the world's prison population. Since 1970, our prison population has grown 700%. So in addition to the uh, 2.3 million people locked up, uh, there are 4.5 million adults um, who are still part of the correctional system outside of like physical jails themselves. So there's 3.6 million people who are on probation uh, and 870,000 people who are on parole. And the thing to note about the people who are on probation and parole is that it's still a very um, coercive system where there's very little freedom. Uh, it sets people up to fail with long supervision terms, strict conditions, and intense surveillance. 
So um, if we look at the graph, uh, I know it's kind of small, but uh, it says for local uh, jails, there are, there are 462,000 people who have not been convicted of a crime. That's 462,000 people who are unable to afford bail, and the only reason that they're in jail is because they're poor, right? They can't afford it. I know uh, Cameron spoke earlier about how the system criminalizes being poor, and it's absolutely true. Uh, in 2014, 57% of incarcerated men and 72% of incarcerated women had incomes below $22,500 before they were locked away. So, in other words, um, three quarters of the women in prison made under two hundred uh, or $22,000 a year, right? Think about that. Uh, and it's incredibly alarming given that women are the fastest growing prison population or incarcerated population in the United States. So, of course, um, you know, another one of the things that we've been talking about all night are the massive racial disparities uh, when it comes to prison populations. So the black population is imprisoned at more than six times the rate of the white population. Uh, the Latinx population is incarcerated at more than three times the rate. Uh, for Native American men, they're incarcerated at four times the rate of white men, and Native American women are incarcerated at six times the rate of white women. And then when it comes to mental health, um, so... There was a study that was done, um, and the language of the study, unfortunately, is like seriously mentally ill people, but it showed that um, for uh, that 83% of people with any kind of mental illness don't receive treatment, and that 20% um, that, uh, of the people who are incarcerated are, I mean, have what the, the state calls a serious mental illness. Um, so, you know, like, wherever you look, right, um, you can see that the statistics, they're really, they're really brutal, they're really awful, um, and they're really horrifying. Uh, and the question is, how did we get here? How did we as a society get here? Uh, and in order to understand, um, we have to continue the conversation that, that's being, that was had earlier, and we have to analyze several things. One, uh, who the ruling class is. Two, uh, what the role of the government is, and three, what political and economic changes were occurring as the U.S. became set on a path towards mass incarceration. So um, we'll we'll tackle the first cu couple questions together. Um, part of it was, you know, was uh, in Molina's talk, but um, you know, uh, even though we claim to live in a democracy, in reality. Uh, it, the reality of the United States is that a tiny group of people hold power, right? And that group is a capitalist class. The group of people with massive amounts of wealth, enough wealth to own uh, corporations and, and foundations that so heavily uh, control and influence society. And the main way this group of people, the capitalists, make their profit, make their wealth, is through paying workers less than the val amount of value that, these, that the workers create. Uh, the role of the government is, is to serve this tiny group of people. Uh, the, gov the government serves the interests of the capitalist class, and in the United States, um, the capitalist class has historically been white, uh, with very few exceptions. 
so the prison industrial complex is a term that describes the relationship and mutual interest between the carceral state and private industry. Uh, you know, one of the most disgusting examples of, of this are private prisons that profit off of the jailing of people. Um, you know, there's also corporations that, you know, produce goods through prison labor, and most often they pay people cents for that labor. So think about, you know, if they're selling a good for $10, $15, they pay somebody cents, you know, it's, it's really just slavery in another word. But, um, you know, even just like regular government-run prisons, uh, they, they can offer immense profit for companies because they often involve huge contracts for the bedding, the, the foods, the building, everything like that. Um, so ultimately, uh, every year, the, the U.S. government spends over $80 billion towards the prison system. Uh, all of this potential profit fuels the growth of the profits, uh, the prison system, but uh, it actually doesn't fully explain the spike in incarceration. So, um, so the, the prison system really took off during the mid-70s. Uh, so I'd like to pose a question to the group. What was going on um, during the mid-70s? Uh, what was going on like politically, economically at that time? Um, there was the energy crisis, the end of the Vietnam War, and uh, um, Nixon was in power and was focusing on, you know, on deregulating certain aspects of the economy. Anybody else? Deindustrialization. Deindustrialization. Yes, exactly. The war on drugs. Uh, the war on drugs. Uh huh. Take one more. Yeah. The collective loss of American innocence. <laughs> well, I think uh, in, in many ways, America was never innocent much far, far before then. Um, but um, but in, in this sense, um, I mean, yes, it wasn't innocent, but, uh, but yes. Uh, so, um, like, like was captured in some of those responses, um, uh, there, there were a large economic shift um, during this time period. So manufacturing work began disappearing from the United States for a variety of different reasons, uh, they, including capitalist overproduction, uh, technological shifts, uh, and certain geopolitical shifts as well, such as countries in Europe and Japan uh, or in, in Asia that were catching up economically to the United States uh, post-World War II. So in this context, there was a very large, what's called an industrial reserve army. Um, and what that, what that means simply is the, the, the section of the, the society that is unemployed, right? Um, and the unemployed of the work, uh, sector of the working class, uh, it, uh, it serves a particular function for the capitalist because it impedes workers to work harder with the threat that they can be replaced. So essentially, you know, if somebody goes into work, their manager says, you know what, I don't need to give you a raise because there's that person out there on the street who doesn't have a job and would take yours in a heartbeat. So if you don't like the way that things are here, the door is wide open. Um, so the disappearance of manufacturing jobs worked in conjunction with these 
you know, political changes and this like swing back from the capitalist class on the working class, um, you know, with, you know, politicians like Reagan and Nixon, um, they were, they were using, uh, part of the, this growth in this unemployed sector to also attack working conditions, uh, for the American people. Um, prior, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the working conditions and like the wages had, had increased between the 60s and the 70s, um, due to, uh, in, increased, uh, politicization of people, uh, in part due to the Vietnam War, as well as the Black Liberation Struggle, lots of different struggles that were going on. But then during the 70s, um, you know, there was this reaction, there was this political reaction from the capitalist class against that, um, that has led to, you know, the destruction of labor unions, um, as well as the decline of working conditions. Um, so all of this meant that, you know, there were like, there were, it became much tougher for the working class, and there were also a large section of the working class that was unemployed. That meant that the capitalist class had to control, um, had to control people, and the way that they implemented this control was through pr the prison system. It was through the war on drugs. It was through rhetoric around crime that could actually be used to distract sectors of the working class from the real culprit of the social problems um, and instead make them think, oh, it's somebody that is, you know, that is uh, breaking uh, into cars that's a problem. It's not those rich people that are causing all of those problems and causing my job to be shitty or me not to even have a job. Um, and, and this rhetoric around crime was obviously racialized. Um, since the days of slavery plantations, the white ruling class has been afraid that the white working class bands together with the uh, oppressed black working class, and it has intentionally stoked racial division. So, in the United States, we've always seen systems that oppress black people um, even more so than they oppress uh, the entire working class. Uh, from slavery to the sharecropping systems, and Jim Crow and segregation, uh, the, the gains of the black liberation movement in the 60s threatened some of these means of control, such as legal segregation. And the prison system emerged as a new legal means of controlled racism. Uh, in fact, some forms of the militarization of police emerged as a direct response to the black liberation movement. Uh, for example, there were 30 members of the Black Panther Party that were killed at the hands of cops, and hundreds more were jailed. And the earliest uh, deployments of SWAT teams were on the Panther Party, as well as on striking farmers in the United Farm Workers uh, movement uh, up in Delano. So um, all of this seems fairly bleak, but the, real, the reality is, is that the ruling class fears unity for a reason. They fear unity because united, the working class has the ability to take back power from the ruling class. There are countless instances of this throughout history, uh, but one recent example is the growing movement around LA to stop LA County from building more jails. Uh, in February, organized members of the community, such as those with uh, Dignity and Power Now and Justice LA, stopped plans to build a $215 million jail uh, a $15 million women's jail in Lancaster, and this past Tuesday, just this week, 
uh, they were able to stop a $1.7 billion contract for a downtown uh, mental health treatment center uh, that would in reality just function as a jail for those that need mental uh, health treatment. Yeah, so this is, this is you know, a really powerful victory because it allows us to imagine how this money can actually be used towards really getting mental health as opposed to, um, you know, incarceration. Or, you know, it allows us to imagine how the money could be used towards education, the environment. And, you know, of course, at the end of the day, stopping the construction of a jail is far from the ultimate goal of dismantling the entire racist U.S. prison system but the victories along the way are a reminder that working people can and will win the future. Thank you.